Hey everybody, Matt Camp here with Deal Machine. Uh, we're proud to team up with Tom Zeeb here to give you guys a ton of free stuff. So our goal here is to give you the free toolkit to get out there and start finding off-market deals. Um, we're proud to say we're the highest rated and most reviewed app out there to go find off-market deals. And we've had over 10,000 deals done using the Deal Machine app. Now, when you download it, you can get it for free at tomzeeb.com slash dealmachine, and you'll get a seven-day free trial with that. And jumping into Deal Machine, you'll be able to go out there, start driving for dollars, start pulling lists, start finding the most motivated sellers in your market. And then you can start marketing to them directly. You can skip trace, you can send them postcards, you can knock on their door. There's a variety of things that we can help you out with using our technology. And then from there, you can actually evaluate the deals, You know, comp it, use our AI assistant to help you out there as well. You really get the full toolkit to go from you know having no real estate experience to landing your first deal using technology. So it's tomzeebcom slash deal machine for that free trial. With it, if you go through that link, you're going to get $30 free in marketing credits that cover a couple hundred free skip traces or 50 free postcards, give you everything that you need to start reaching out to sellers. So um, get out there and happy deal finding. The art is not nearly as important as the science. I know President Trump's well known for his book, The Art of the Deal. I slightly disagree on that one. The science of the deal is more important than the art. There's an art to it that comes later. That's fine. That's not as important as simply understanding the science. Because when you understand these techniques and what they can do and the predictable response you should get, then you know how to use them. Welcome to the Get Traction Podcast. If you're ready to learn exactly what it takes to become a real estate entrepreneur, then this is the show for you. With your host, founder of Traction Real Estate Mentors and president of the Traction Real Estate Investors Association, Tom Z. Welcome back. It's Tom Z with the Get Traction Podcast on with my producer, Harry Duran. Hey, Harry. How's it going, Tom? Going awesome. So, Harry, so far we've covered uh, some find the deal marketing, and we've heard from a very successful student of mine as well in an interview. And I want to delve deeper into the make the deal portion of the process. So this is all about negotiating. Negotiation is just a ton of fun. I love negotiating. So we're going to have a good time with this. Sounds good. All right. So negotiating wise, there's a reason negotiation is so important. When, when you do your marketing right, you get, you're not getting cold leads, but you're not getting hot leads either. You're getting kind of lukewarm leads. Your job is to take a lukewarm lead and turn it into a red hot deal. And in order to do that, you need to understand how to move somebody from no to yes. No is their natural state. We want to give them the yes. We want to take them from lukewarm and turn it into a red hot deal where they are saying yes. We do that through awesome negotiation skills. Now, negotiation is something that people are usually afraid of, or they have a bad taste in their mouth. They generally just don't like the whole thought of negotiating. And that's a shame because negotiation is actually a lot of fun. When you, when you learn it right and you do it the way I'm going to teach you, it's it's a good time, it's fun, and it's powerful because you start to realize that, hey, this is the number one way I move somebody from saying no to saying yes, and yes is when all the good, fun, awesome stuff starts to happen, like getting paid. So what we need to do is separate the reasons people generally don't like negotiation, and um, a lot of times they think of it as high-pressure sales. Well, nobody likes high-pressure salesmen. I don't think a lot of high-pressure salesmen like high-pressure sales. It just, it, it never feels right, and it's not about being pushy. What I want to teach people how to do is, is learn a framework for negotiation. You're interested in it and you separate out the pushiness. You're not forcing someone into anything they don't want to do. You're using it as a way to move them through a process to get them to say yes if they want to and can say yes or stay on no if that's a better answer for them. So I know it sounds a little schmaltzy, 
but I teach people a win-win negotiating because the other side's not going to say yes unless the deal works for them. And you're not going to say yes unless the deal works for you. So that's, to me, that's just a practicality. Some people say, oh, no, you know, if you're going to win the negotiation, then the other side's got to lose. But I don't think it has to be that way. And I don't think the goal is to have to be that way. I'm not trying to make anyone lose to me by selling their house, uh, nor do I want them to win and me to lose by buying into, a, you know, just buying into their problem. The point is I need to get them out of the problem and out of their situation, right? I need to solve whatever the, whatever motivating them to be a motivated seller. I need to solve that, solve that problem. And then I need to make money in the process. So I need to get a good deal that I can quickly resell if I'm wholesaling it, or if I can hold on to it as a landlord, or if I can fix it up and resell it as a rehabber. So to me, it truly is a win-win type of negotiation. And when we get that into our mind, then it works. Uh, everything goes a lot smoother because we, we say, okay, I'm, I'm dancing with somebody. Um, it's a kind of a, I don't want to call it a seduction. It's, it's something where there's something good in the end of this. It's not, we're not going to uh, push anyone into doing what they don't want to do. And I think a lot of people don't view it as dance and they don't view it as having a mutually beneficial outcome. And that's what we're looking for. So it's, it's more like a give and take. Yes, there's a little give and take. So as we're, you know, as we've been pinpointing what the problem is and coming up with a package that can work for them, the, the act of persuasion is a little bit of give and take. And I know how much I can give, so to speak, right? I know what, I know how far up in price I can come. And I have a maximum allowable offer. People should write that down, right? So MAO, MAO, the maximum allowable offer. That's the most that I can pay for the property. That's the maximum I can put it under contract for, knowing that I could still turn around and be able to wholesale it, assign it for, for a bit of a profit. So that's simply what it is. I, I, need, I need to know those numbers and move people towards those numbers uh, with, with some give and take, exactly. So I'm gonna get them to uh, give on price and I'm going to make sure I don't go over what I'm able to do for that. Does that make sense? Makes a lot of sense. Cool. Here's why negotiation is important. Have you ever been stuck? I mean, you feel stuck and trapped, like you don't know what to say to a motivated seller. That's really frustrating if you just flat out freeze up and you don't know what to say. That's problematic. Being comfortable in negotiation helps you solve that because we're going to learn a simple process of things to say to get the ball moving is what we need to do. It's not just knowing what to say to people, though. It's also knowing how to say it. When people freeze up. It's somewhat from not knowing what to say. It's also because they don't know how to talk to somebody. So when I teach a negotiation, I also want to teach you how to say certain things Matching what you're saying to people's needs and desires. That way, what we're after, what, the way we come across is appropriate for the way they want to be handled. So how we say things is important as well. The number one th area people fall down on in negotiating is they simply don't know how to move somebody to say yes. And if you can't move somebody to say yes, they stay stuck on no. No is kind of the default position. Everyone's programmed to say no. So what we need to do is convince them, persuade them to say yes. And when we turn that around, you get negotiation right. That's when you learn to say the right things at the right time. And think about how, that, how great that would be if you're always able to say the right things to someone at the right time. How great would life be if people always said the right things to you at the right time? That makes a big, massive difference. And I imagine that comes with practice too. It does. Yeah, you got to practice it. And th th that's why we're going to practice so much is that as you, the more and more you drill all this negotiation into your head, learn it, understand it, you just start to breathe it, it comes out more naturally. And so it makes those things uh, easier. It's easier to say the right things at the right time. It's also then much easier to say all those right things with confidence. The way we present ourselves to the world makes a big, huge difference. Harry, if I say, hey, you know, um, 
sir, maybe if I, I I've never done this before and I'm kind of scared, maybe, you know, if, if we came to an agreement and, and I could find the right contract, um, would you sell me your house? Uh, how confident does that sound? Doesn't seem like much business is going to be happening there. No, probably not. You're going to, are you going to say yes or no to that? A uh, big fat no. A big fat no, exactly. Now, on the other hand, let's turn that around. What if I say, Harry, you, your problems are X, Y, and Z. We've addressed all of those in this offer. Um, I'm able to give you this amount of money. Here's the contract. I've listed all that stuff out in the clauses. We'll be able to close this in 30 days and have you moving on with your life and solve all of those problems. What do you say now? Well, just by the way you're delivering that, it makes me feel confident that you know what you're talking about and, and you have our best interests in mind. Exactly. Yeah, the confidence, the way we saying it makes all the difference in the world. Now, I mean, think about how many times, I know those kind of extreme examples, but how many times you hear people flubbing through life like the first voice I used and they're just scared and they're timid. They're scared of themselves. They have no confidence in themselves. Well, you're not going to inspire confidence in anyone else either. But when you turn around and say it and say it with confidence, you can. Here's the thing. Most people sell a property twice in their life. So the average person is only involved in two real estate transactions personally ever in their lifetime. And so do they really want to deal? It's big and it's scary for them. They don't want to deal with someone who's timid and shy and not sure what they're doing and scared. Would they want someone that's going to tell them, hey, I am the best solution for you right now. I've put this, I've packaged this up. This solution works. Here's why it addresses, you know, you said you had problems A, B, and C. Here we solve A, B, and C. Here's your mind. We're going to go in 30 days. I've got my team of pros, my pro settlement company, my pro escrow agent, everything set up to close. Let's get this done. And people naturally want to move ahead with that. That's what it takes to seal the deal. What's interesting, what's interesting about that approach is it's a reminder that these skills are not really taught to us in school. And so it's, it's no one's fault that they don't have the negotiation skills and, and, and they don't have the experience, obviously, because if they don't do this a lot, you know, you need repetition and practice. So I think what's important here is understanding that it's, it's not something we, we missed or it's a class we skipped <laughs> in college or high school. I think a lot of this is not taught. So that's why it's probably resonates with people who are into this because they want to learn it and because they realize it's something that, that it's a skill that they didn't have. It's the number one skill they never taught us. It, it's a class that was never offered. It wasn't even a matter of skipping. It's just not there. I don't understand, Harry. It drives me crazy. It's one of my big pet peeves because negotiation is flat out the most important money-making skill you can learn, period. And negotiation is the number one most important life-improving skill you can learn, period. So what I'm teaching you, yeah, I'm teaching, I'm teaching this to you to get better real estate deals, but the techniques and the concepts and ideas on how to talk to people and say with confidence and go through these, these techniques in this process, it works in all walks of life. I mean, one of the things you have to accept is you're negotiating all the time. So if you, you know, you're at work, you have a boss, you're negotiating, you have subordinates, you're negotiating, you have coworkers negotiating at home, you're married or have a significant other, you're negotiating, you got kids, you're negotiating, they're negotiating with you. You're negotiating all the time. Everything you do is a negotiation. But for some bizarre reason, we don't view it that way. And therefore, none of this is ever taught in school. And I can't figure that out. The negotiation skills have been the number one thing that have turned my business around. When I started learning negotiation properly, I had a lot of regret, to be quite honest. I regretted all these deals I could have had that I realize now why I had blown them. I realized if I would have handled it differently, those deals could have had a very different outcome. And it came down to understanding negotiation the right way. That's why this is such a critical skill. And yet they don't teach it in school.
but they should. <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree they should. So you want, you didn't learn it in school. It's not too late. We're going to learn it right now. Yeah. Three types of negotiation. The techniques fall into three categories. Now I teach a ton of different techniques. I've got 46 different negotiation techniques in part two of my rapid cash generator kit. Part two is on make the deal. It's on negotiating skills. I want to pull a few of those out today and, and teach you them exactly how to use and, and listeners will be able to use these immediately. I mean, they just, they fit right into you're negotiating for deals, you're negotiating in life. So I want to pull those out. But I want to tell people that of, of those 46 different types, they fall into three general categories. There's three categories that you've got to uh, understand that these techniques fall into. Now, they can be in multiple categories. That's the interesting thing. But I want you to think about the structure of negotiation. It always starts off by simply getting the ball rolling. You got to get that conversation started. So when people hesitate and not knowing what to say, I say, let's use some of my opening techniques to just get that conversation moving so we can get the ball rolling. Because if we don't know what we're dealing with, then we have no idea how to approach it from negotiation. We have no idea how to approach things going forward. So we have to simply start to get the conversation going. You know, how much are they asking for the property? Why are they asking that much? Get you know, things to get that conversation moving. Once the conversation's moving, then as real estate investors, we generally want to get the price down. So we have to be using techniques that get the price down. There's specific strategies for that that we'll talk about as well. Then finally, you've got the ball moving, you've gotten the price down. There's a certain point you got to wrap it up. <laughs> you've got to, you got to go for the close. You got to have some back end closing strategy or a technique for, for getting it closed and finally wrapping it up. Cause a lot of people just want it to go. It just goes out into the ether and floats and then they never get around to closing it. You got to really, kind of sharpen it to a point and get a yes or a no. If they say no, that's fine. But I'd rather have a no than have a no answer. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So that's what we're after is splitting our techniques into those three categories. So let me tell you one of my favorite openers for getting the ball rolling. And this is something everybody can practice right away and can be using immediately the very next time uh, that you're asking somebody about their property or asking somebody for any price whatsoever. And this specific technique is oftentimes what I hear is one of the number one things people say I've taught them in negotiation because they, they, they've, they've come to recognize the power of it. Uh, the technique is called flinching. And it simply means that anytime anybody says any number to you whatsoever, act like you were physically assaulted by that number. <laughs> <laughs> all right so and and i know this is audio so i'm going to do the close cousin of the flinch which is the verbal flinch for for example so harry say a number uh, ten thousand dollars ten thousand dollars whoo that's a lot of money that's an audio flinch it's an audio flinch right so how did you feel when i audio flinched at you it uh created an immediate reaction an adverse reaction to you so it made me as the the originator of that number set i think subliminally second guess the number is, and say maybe that maybe that wasn't the right number to to say exactly you're second guessing your own number now remember harry i didn't say give me a price on a house i didn't even say give me a price i just said say a number you happen to say ten thousand dollars you could have said the number six and i would have acted the same way and you would have had the same thought in your head you would have self-doubted your own choice yeah. so th think about it you felt that way simply from my reaction to you so if every time anyone says any number to you whatsoever, you flinch or verbal flinch, then, and they immediately have that thought, what kind of pressure are we putting on the price or on that number? Downward. Downward pressure. 
And that's exactly what we want to do. So it gets the ball rolling and starts to bleed into our second category of putting downward pressure on the price. So folks, try this. The very next time anyone says any number to you whatsoever, flinch and watch what happens. Uh, someone's going to say, oh, Tom, I don't have a deal to work on this week. That's fine. Next time you're at the store, ask how much something costs. I know it's on the tag, but it doesn't matter. Flinch and watch what happens. Sometimes they run out and they go get the manager's 10% discount for you. It's your money. You might as well save it. But watch what happens when you start flinching all of the time. It's a very powerful thing. <laughs> I, can, I practice everything I preach, and I love flinching every time I ask the, the price of something. So there was this one time I was having my hair cut, and uh, it, it had been a new salon because my, my normal guy was, you know, he was going out of town for a few months. So I just wandered in somewhere else, and this guy's cutting my hair. And I commented that, you know, there's not as much of it left as there used to be, right? Because <laughs> they're the typical middle-aged guy, you know, I'm losing my hair. And he goes, oh, I have something for that. And I'm thinking, oh, here we go. Of course you do. You've got something for it. He pulls out this bottle of shampoo. He says, this, you know, it's basically magic shampoo. And uh, this will, you know, fix your hair and you'll start regrowing hair. Uh, mm -hmm. Sure. You know, then why isn't it all over the news and whatnot? Because every man would love that, right? So, of course, I'm curious. I said, well, how much is it? for that bottle of shampoo. And he said, $30. And of course, it was part of me was naturally flinching because I thought it was an absurd to pay $30 yeah. for a bottle of shampoo. You didn't have to fake but it. I didn't have to fake that one too much. It was there, but I was very careful since, you know, he had scissors in his hand. I wanted to make sure it was nowhere near my eyes. And I went, I did this big giant flinch. So I kind of shook in the whole seat and he went, oh, but I can do better than that. I was like, oh, uh-huh, what's that? He said, $20. So I'm already got $10 off the Dawn bottle of shampoo. And I, I still did a life lunch. I went, woo, is that the best you can do? Which that's a technique in and of itself, right? Is that the best you can do is effectively putting a kind of a vice squeeze on somebody. He goes, no, the best I can do is $15. That's half price. Hmm. Uh, so wouldn't you know it, I bought the Dawn bottle of shampoo. <laughs> But certainly not for the full price. It was good. And yeah. uh, it's done nothing to help my hair. So Yeah, and I'm sure he still made money because he's not going to be selling it at a loss. Exactly. He's not going to sell it at a loss. So it was fine. We both won. I got, uh, I, you know, he, he got to make a sell and I got a much better price on it. So that verbal flinch is a very powerful technique. Use it all the time. Practice the very next time you're out there. I, I'm sure you'll have an opportunity within a couple hours of listening this podcast to be able to use that. So just flinch and watch what happens. I'd love to hear your stories uh, and feedback on that. Second specific technique I wanna teach you is called specific numbers. Now, a specific number is when you have to make an offer to somebody, and I, I do this with all my starting offers. When I am initially making somebody an offer, I don't want you to make it at an even number. So if I was gonna offer you $100,000 for your house, I would never offer you $100,000 because that just seems kind of even and plain and, and not thought about. I'm just kind of spitballing the number. I would offer you 101579 because now that number seems scientifically calculated. Looks like I put a lot more thought and effort into it. I mean, Harry, which one do you take more seriously? An offer of 100000 or 101579 Yeah, I think it's human nature to think that there's going to be wiggle room in the hundred thousand. It's like, it feels like an arbitrary number. And yep. I, I, I would think my immediate, and the math is easy, right? Cause you can easily chop $10,000 off and be like, no, let's go 90 or let's go 80. And then, you know, the negotiation starts. 
Yeah. Isn't that interesting? The $100,000 seems like it has more negotiation room. It seems like I just threw that arbitrary number out there when in actuality, the real arbitrary number was the 101579 because I just kind of literally pulled that out of, <clears throat> let's say, thin air. And it was, that's what I've always found interesting. So all my offers end in 579. So I, listeners, go ahead. You can use 579 if you want. Uh, it's not those specific numbers that makes a difference. It's the fact that it is a specific number. So I, I know those have a nice upward sound. You know, they're all round upwards. It's 579. That's great. But it doesn't matter. You can say, you know, 123 or uh, 479. It doesn't matter. Just choose something specific because now it seems like we have really scientifically figured out what we're after. So if anyone kind of says, well, how do you figure that? That's a weird number. How do you figure that out? I say, well, we have a spreadsheet. We analyze the neighborhood. Uh, we know what our costs are. And then I plug it all in the spreadsheet and out pops this number. Now, that is pretty much what happens, except it doesn't come out with that exactness. I just add the exact number because I know it makes my offer that much more serious. Therefore, that much more able to be accepted or at least countered because I don't really want them accepting my first offer anyway. And that's a big negotiation point. Mm-hmm. Never, and like Harry, you were, you, you, you said $10,000 before was your number. Yeah. And let's say I was asking you how much do you want for the microphone you're using? Uh, $10,000. So Harry, I'll give you $10,000. Okay. What do you say now? I'll take it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And any thoughts in your head? If, if it's immediately what I asked for and, and you offered to give me that, then I, I feel like I just got a good deal. You got a good deal. Could you have gotten more? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, but do you know if you could have gotten more or how much? No. More? No. No, because, because I just, I'm, I'm just so happy to sell it that I just take <laughs> Exactly. So, yeah. Now, what happens a lot of times when you jump at the first offer, then the person is happy, right? You said you're happy to have it, but you're always wondering, oh, he agreed so quickly. I wonder how much more I could have gotten. And so if you're negotiating with somebody on a house, when you jump at their first offer, you're putting that thought in their head. They're wondering how much more they could have gotten and what's wrong here. There's kind of two, two predictable thoughts. Something's wrong and how much more could I have gotten? And it's the same thing. If they jump at your first offer, you're always going to wonder how much better could I have done? But you'll never know. And then therefore you don't know if they were at the bottom and that ties in with one more concept. All these concepts are layered uh, together, right? It's all interlocked and, and layered. That's why it's so important to learn all this negotiation and then hear it told out in stories like this so that, so that you understand it. If you jump at the first offer, you make an offer, they jump at it, they take it. Not only do you not know how much lower they would have gone, you also haven't given them a chance to fight for their number. They need to bring you up in the negotiation. That way they feel like they won. That's another key negotiating concept. We want the other side to always feel like they won. Now, it's win-win. Both sides have won. But we want to make sure it's really important for them to feel like that they've won. If you always let the other side feel like they won in negotiation, then when you, when you let them bring you up to their price, because then they feel like they won. Because you have now agreed to what they wanted, rather than them agreeing to what you wanted. It's really subtle. But you've got to always let that other side feel like they want. So they need to fight for their price. One of the reasons to do this is that people don't exist in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. They have a spouse or kids or family or parents or loved ones or even colleagues. There's somebody that when they get off the phone with you, they're going to go talk about what they've done. So if they turn around and say, hey, I'm selling my house. And this friend or family member says, 
Oh, cool. Uh, how much did you get for it? And they say, I'm getting $100,000. You say, oh, that's great. How much do they offer you? Well, they offered me $100,000. Well, they're going to say, wait, you took the first offer? Are you silly? They're, and they agree? Well, they're, they're, you could have gotten a better price. On the other hand, if they say, how much are you selling your house for? And they say, $100,000. They say, oh, really? Well, you know, what did they offer you? Well, they started, they offered me 83579 and I got them up to $100,000. Now they feel like they won and you've given them a leg to stand on, right? Because they, they know they fought for that price. So in order to lock somebody into a price, make them fight for it. Mm, that's a good point. Yeah, it's not fighting in a bad way. It's just make them, make them bring you up to quote unquote their price. That's going to be the major difference. So that's the power of specific numbers. I got one more for you as well. Higher authority. Now higher authority is an interesting negotiation technique. I know most of the people out there, they're real estate entrepreneurs, and they're probably alone. Maybe there's one business partner, but for the most part, we tend to operate very solo, very alone. Therefore, there's no one else to blame things on and no one else to turn to or no one else that has to approve anything that we say or do. But what I'm saying from a negotiation perspective, you always want to maintain an escape to higher authority. You always want to be able to blame a higher authority for the, for the decisions that are being made. Now, generally, you're the one on the phone with the person. You're the one communicating directly with the motivated seller. So that puts you in the customer-facing position. So we want you to be the good guy or the good cop, and we want the higher authority to be the bad cop. So a higher authority is simply somebody that you have to check with to determine whether or not that price is acceptable. So let's use that same example as before, Harry. If I've started off, I, you know, I offered you 83579 You've, quote unquote, brought me up to 100000 and we agree on that. I might, I might say something like, ooh, okay, I might be able to go up to 100000 but I need to check with my people. Or I need to check with the senior people in my office, or I need to check with the board, or I need to check with my underwriters, or my inspectors, or something. Now, notice what I'm overemphasizing in all those words being a little heavy on the S because it's plural. The key to higher authority is make sure that it's plural. Because if I say, oh, hey, I might be able to do that, but I need to check with Bob, <laughs> then the natural way around it is you simply say, okay, Tom, get out of the way. Let me talk to Bob. So higher authority always has to be something plural, some sort of nebulous group that nobody else could assemble. There's no one phone number to call to get them together. That way, they know, okay, uh, he's got to check with someone. It's a very natural thing, by the way, because most people think about what they do for a living. They work for other people. So it's very natural to have a higher authority and someone that has to approve what they do. So it's, it, if anything, it puts you at their level and makes them like you even more. So that's the uh, great way of using higher authority. Oh, and by the way, with, with, with all these techniques, there's usually a technique and a counter technique. If someone uses higher authority on you, let me make sure I tell you how to handle that as well. So let's say they use higher authority on you. And of course, if it's just a singular person, then just tell them to get out of the way and you try to contact that person directly. Now, if they use it in the plural, like they have a board to check with or a committee or some sort of group, and it's not a group you could directly approach, then you simply say you have to get their commitment. So Harry, if it was you and you were, and you were saying, well, Tom, I don't know yet, I'd have to check with, with, my, with my board, I would look at you and say, okay, Harry, well, you, you do want to recommend what we've agreed upon to your board, correct? 
And then you, you would tell me yes or no. And so at this moment, I know, do I still have a problem with you? Or is it you having to convince the board? I might also find out if the board even exists, because a lot of times higher authorities are bluff with people. So they say they need to check with someone. They don't really. It just gives them a convenient way to think about it. So at that point, are you trying to isolate price as something you've agreed on? Yes. You're isolating the price as something you've agreed upon, but needs to be approved. And if you really want, you do it at the certain point to stop the wearing away process, stop people from moving your price up any further. Because now you're saying, ooh, you know, $100,000, I, it, you know, there's a little flinch in there, right? Ooh, $100,000. I might be able to do that, but I need to check with my people. Well, now you can come back and say, yeah, my people won't go any higher. Or, oh, my people didn't improve me higher than 95,000. And now they're gonna double down and fight for their 100, but they're not gonna think about going any higher anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. So it's a pretty cool, pretty cool technique and way of doing it. So those are just a few of the techniques to teach. Like I say, there's 46 of them. They're all awesomely powerful and you can move them around and they're modular. So you, you use them as you need them. Sometimes you'll use them earlier on in a negotiation, sometimes in the middle, sometimes at the end. And just kind of knowing them and when you practice, you get really good at just knowing when to pull that out. It's like, oh, I've seen this situation before. Let me use that technique and watch what happens. So you're always trying to get the price moving in your direction and you're trying to stop your position from being eroded by the other side. Yeah, I think that's a, an, an important collection of, of skills to have in your toolkit, especially as you're getting new to negotiations. A lot of times these, these tips help us if, we, if we've never been trained this, then you know, we don't feel comfortable going into these negotiations and we tend to flub our way through them. And inevitably, like the deal doesn't go where we want it to go. So I think even just these basics that you've outlined here are very helpful and, and they're very fun to, to work with and play with and, and even better that we can practice, especially the, the flinching. <laughs> to your point, it's something that we can start doing at Starbucks. <laughs> yeah, just start flinching and watch what happens. Most people flinch at the price of a cup of coffee in Starbucks anyway, so. Yes, you might as well make it a known flinch and not be so proud about it. Don't feel pernicious. Just get out there, get out there and flinch and watch what happens. What you're going to find is... You know, I know it feels it feels weird at the beginning to to flinch. All I'm saying is just just go practice. You know, go to the shopping mall and go practice on a pair of jeans, just something you don't care about, and just to see because you're going to get more comfortable with it. Because here's the thing with negotiation, with these techniques, these principles. There's an art and a science to negotiation. I'm teaching you the science first and foremost because that is what works. It's the science that works. You can lean into the science and. All, and get these predictable responses. Like I said, when, when you flinch, those were the exact thoughts in your mind. I gave, and just so the audience knows, I gave you no prep on any of that. We didn't talk about this in advance. Didn't tell you what I was going to say. And I wanted your natural reaction. And your natural reaction was exactly what's predictable. Is that, oh, I felt uncomfortable with my own number. My own number must have been too high. Well, that's the science at play. Now, the art of making these deals is the way you flinch and the way you say it. Now, So if you focus in on the science, focus in on the like the how of what I'm teaching you, and then you just practice, the, you'll get your own artistry down. So it doesn't matter if you you know, flinch really big like me and make it kind of crazy, or if you're a really meek, uh, quiet flincher, 
it's still going to work because it's simply the science of flinching that works. Don't worry about the art as much at the beginning. What the, you, you'll get your own artistry of these techniques down as you practice, but just learn the science the way I teach it and implement it and watch what happens. So that's very helpful, Tom. Is there some homework we could give folks to make this actionable and, and take some steps to wire this into their brain? I couldn't stand homework in high school, but hmm, I think let's call it field work and then I'll agree to it. <laughs> so <Perfect>. yeah, <laughs> it's a good idea, Harry. Look, uh, folks, those three things I just taught you, flinching, specific numbers, and higher authority are all immediately usable, it, it, right? You, you don't need any more training than that to apply those to what you're doing. So what I want you to do is go out and the very next time someone says a number to you, I want you to flinch and see what happens. Uh, put yourself in the position where you have to practice it, or like I said, the very next time, even at the supermarket, you know, just ask how much, ask how much something costs, even if it's got a tag on it, ask how much it costs, flinch, watch what happens. With specific numbers, anytime you have to give a number, the very next offer you make on the phone now, make it with a specific number. If you say, well, I don't have any, you know, what am I going to do, wait around for somebody to call? How about this? Go to Craigslist, find a for sale by owner, call them and go through this process to practice. And then Whatever number they tell you, flinch at it and make them an offer back and use a specific number so you see what happens. Then three, let's practice using your higher authority as well. So no matter what happens, no matter what people say to you, sim simply say, ooh, I might be able to do that. I need to check with my people. So put yourself in a situation where you can use each of these three because you need, there's, no, there's no special magic needed for these. You can flinch, you can use a specific number, and you can resort to higher authority. Yeah, so I highly encourage the listener to put these into practice because with practice comes permanence. So thanks for sharing those tips on the art and science of negotiation, Tom. Very helpful episode. Fantastic. Thanks, Harry. Look forward to talking to everyone again next time. Thanks for listening to the Get Traction Podcast. To read the full show notes for this episode, which include a summary, timestamps, a couple of tweetable quotes, and any links mentioned, head on over to gettractionpodcast.com. See you next episode.